0: Tonight, I was going to have a PowerPoint for you, Uh, worked on it, and uh, put it on my thumb drive and left my thumb drive in my computer on my way here, so uh, you'll have to just kind of envision a really nice PowerPoint behind my head. Um, But let's, here's the topic that I've been given, uh, and it's, will we know one another in heaven? I think that's a really good question. And I think that we have a lot of questions about life after death that we would like to know about. We know that we're facing, you know, something in our future and we'd like to know as much about it as we can. Job, a long time ago, one of the, you know, back in the time of the patriarchs, Job asked the question in Job 14 and verse 14, If a man dies, shall he live again? That's a good question. But I don't think he was the first person to ask that question. I dare say that Adam and Eve had a lot of questions when Cain killed Abel. I don't know if they found Abel's body or if it was uh, forevermore hidden, Uh, but I do know God knew that it happened. And I can only imagine the questions that Adam and Eve would have had about their son being gone. Like, where is he? What's going on? Um, is he okay? Does he see us? Does he remember us? The, is he in pain? Is he being comforted? There are a thousand questions. I have found, as probably you have found, that my curiosity about the afterlife is far greater than God, God's revelation or what he chose to reveal to me. Uh, there are just a lot of questions that I'm just going to have to be content with Deuteronomy 29.29. 29. The secret things belong to God, but the things that have been revealed belong to us. And uh, so that means that there are some things I'm just never going to know. But I'm going to search out God's Word and try to find the things that I can know. I have questions like, and I've heard people ask questions like, um, where, where is heaven? Uh, where is this place that we're going and, and then, um, well, what are we going to do there? Like, w- w- all day long, every day, accommodative language, but e- all day long, every day, forever. What, what is it we're going to do while we're there? Um, can, can people in heaven watch what we're doing here on earth? How many times have you heard somebody, especially at sporting events, say, I'm glad, you know, my dad was looking down on me, and he saw me hit that home run tonight, or something along those lines. Can people in heaven look down, or or in the, the uh, afterlife, can they can they look down and see what we're doing right now, and know what we're saying? Can they hear us? Well, what are our new bodies going to look like? 1 Corinthians 15 says that, when Jesus comes again, there will be a change in the twinkling of an eye. Those of us who are alive when he comes back, our bodies will be changed to an incorruptible body. What's that going to be like? Uh, I, you know, those kinds of questions. And, and then you have, um, you know, I lost a child. If she was just an infant, is she going to be an infant forever? Like, will, that, will she grow up in heaven? Will she still be just a baby in heaven? What, what's the deal with that? How, how are we going to figure all that out? And then there are people who have questions about heaven, and they, they question, really, it boils down to, and I understand the curiosity, but I think it boils down to a lack of trusting that God can take care of everything. But sometimes a person will say, I don't see how in the world I can be happy if we recognize one another in heaven and I don't see my husband, father, mother, child there, how can I ever be happy if my family and my loved ones are not there? Well, you know, I can just look at the flip side of that and say to me, I could ask, how could I be happy in heaven knowing that my family is there but I can't recognize them? You know, the person I just passed, that could have been my child or, or my mother or father. You know, that would be eternally frustrating, I think. So, you know, here's what we got to do. And I think when it comes to some of these kinds of questions, we have to remember what Jeremiah said. Do you remember what Jeremiah asked? He said, is there anything too hard for God? I don't think there is. And I think that God can take care of our happiness in heaven. And I don't give a moment's thought of worry about that issue. Uh, nothing is too hard for God, Jeremiah 32 and verse 27. But I do think that there are people that would like to know these basic, some of these basic questions. Some of the questions that I asked you, there's information in the Bible about. Some of them, we just don't have information But here's what I want to encourage us to do. Keep Romans 4 and verse 3 in your mind. In any biblical topic that you want to study, what do the Scriptures say? That's where we need to stop. We need to seek out not what I think or what I feel like or what I suppose it would be like. We need to go to the Bible and say, what do the Scriptures say? And stay within those confines. Avoid speculation. That's what causes divisions and strife among us when we begin to guess. And your guess is as good as my guess, and we get kind of irritated at each other about our differences in guesses. Just stick to the Scriptures. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 6, I hope you've understood the lesson I've been trying to use. I've been using myself and Apollos as an example so that you would learn not to go beyond what is written. Stick to the scriptures and don't go beyond that. But there is the question, will we know one another in heaven? And that's what I want to talk about tonight. My dad uh, died in 2013, and uh, it was a sudden, surprising uh, death. Nobody was expecting it, he, and and um, as soon as he died, I called up, Home and I asked the guy that takes care of the video and all that, the audio, I said, I I want a copy of my dad's last sermon. Can you you send that to me? And he did. Ironically, his last sermon, though he did not know it would be his last, but his last sermon was entitled, Preparing for Death. And, uh, you know, I listened to that sermon with quite a bit of interest. And I remember a part about, uh, about midway through that sermon, he was talking about uh, heaven and motivation to go there and one of the reasons he wanted to go there. And he said, uh, you know, I want, I want to go to heaven and I want my son and my daughter and my wife and my family, my grandkids, I, I want them to be in heaven so that we can enjoy eternity together. And then he made the statement, you know, and I already have A child waiting for me in heaven. When uh, I had a sister, when she was nine years old, she died. And as a a boy, I never thought of the impact that would have. I I wasn't mature enough to grasp all of that. But man, that must have been hard for my mom and dad. To have that little nine-year-old girl, her name was Donna. And she passed away. And, you know she never left the mind of my mom and dad my dad's preaching 60 years after she passed away and he's talking about her you know when when i'd go home i'd go upstairs and and uh, check out you know do you ever do this when you go home after a long period if your, your parents have lived in the same house and and like what have they done to my bedroom you know, and I go in my bedroom and I check out things, like have they moved anything? And, and we had this big walk-in cedar closet upstairs, and I went in there and there was a shoe box, and, you know, I opened it up, and there was my sister's shoes the, that she wore the last day of her life. She had stomped in a mud puddle, and even the mud was still on, you know, the sides of these little saddle Oxfords. And I've wondered many times, how many times, because it was prominent, it was right there in my face, it wasn't tucked away in the back, it was right there as you enter that closet. And I wondered how many times they must have visited that closet uh, to, to just have memories. I think the memories were fresh because 60 years later when my dad preached that last sermon, he's looking forward to having a reunion with that daughter of his. Is that a realistic expectation? Or is that just hopeful, you know, human dreams that have no foundation in Scripture? Well, let's open our Bibles tonight. Let's see what we can learn. Um, there is no passage that is going to just explicitly say, yes, yes. There is recognition after heaven, and then you have a scripture reference. There, there is no explicit statement like that. But we don't have to just learn from explicit statements. We can learn from implicit truths as well. We can gather information and draw conclusions that are right and valid conclusions. And that's what I want us to do tonight. I want us to look at a few passages that uh, maybe you'll be interested in marking or writing down. I'm sorry I don't have them up on the board for you, but um, these passages, I believe, teach us that there will be recognition uh, in heaven. Let's start in Luke chapter 16. If you have your Bible, you may want to open to Luke chapter 16. You know probably the story well. There was a rich man and a poor beggar named Lazarus. And that beggar was laid at the rich man's gate, just hoping to get some kind of benevolence extended his direction. And um, they die. Both of them die. One is pictured as uh, the angels take that person, uh, Lazarus, into the Hadean realm, into the bosom of Abraham, and there he's being comforted. The other, just matter of frank, uh, frank very frankly, and, and say, states, um, he died, and he opened his eyes in torments. And as the one man is being comforted, and the other man is being tormented in this Hadean realm, there's a conversation that takes place right? Look, look at verse 23. And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes, he's talking about the rich man, and he saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. There's recognition. He knew who they were. Now, I know this is the Hadean realm, and it's not heaven proper, but they're spiritual beings. Their bodies are in graves, but there was recognition that took place. And and the interesting thing is Abraham lived 2,000 years before this rich man. He lived and died 2,000 years before him. How would he know who Abraham was? Um. And how would he know who Lazarus, or the rich man Lazarus, or the, the beggar Lazarus was for that matter, because they weren't in their bodies, but there was recognition, and some you know may say, well, maybe that's just you know recognition in you know, the, the part where they're being punished, and maybe that's part of the punishment. But no, there's recognition on the other side of this Hadean realm as well, because he recognized him as the rich man, and Abraham said, "You know, you were blessed in this life, and this man wasn't. And look how the tables have turned." Uh, so, you know, there's yeah. In Luke sixteen, there's recognition after death. I know that much. Also, if you want to, let's let's go back to the Old Testament, all the way back to the book of Genesis. And you can go to chapter 25 of Genesis. In Genesis 25, that's, that's when God had called um, Abraham to go up on the Mount, uh, Mount Moriah and offer Isaac as a sacrifice. you remember that? That would have been a really hard uh, command to obey. But Abraham was the father of the faithful. What's he going to do? He's gonna, going to be faithful and, and obey the Lord. And so... Excuse me, I'm a little bit ahead of myself there. Acts 20, or Genesis 25 and verse 8. Abraham is about to die in this occasion. My, my bad. And he says that... Or the text says in Genesis 25 and verse 8 that he's going to be carried, gathered to his people. And, and note that that expression is not just used of Abraham but it's used of Isaac, and it's used of Jacob, and it's used of Moses, and it's used, it's used a number of times in the Old Testament that this person is going to be gathered to his people. Well, someone might say, well, you know, that's just a uh, reference to the cemetery. Uh, you know, like, uh, you know, in my family... We have kind of a family plot in New Martinsville, West Virginia, and, and my dad is buried, and my mom is right next to him, and, and Donna is right there with them. and my grandparents are a little ways away, and my cousins are over here. And so you know, if we had a plot there, you could say, because of the location of our burial place, we're being gathered to our people. It could be a a, you know, a euphemistic way of saying talking about where we're buried. That's not what's going on with Abraham. Abraham, when Sarah died, bought a a cave at Macpelia. It had never been used. Uh, It wasn't the burial place of his ancestors. He bought this cave and buried his wife there. And when he died, he wanted to be carried back there to be with his wife. But that's not where his fathers were. So gathering Abraham to his fathers was not about where they buried him. It's about being reunited. Now, you know, we can we can look at that expression, and, and I want you to note it's not he was gathered to all people. He was not gathered to my people or your people. He was gathered to his people. I don't know what that would mean other than there's some family relationship there, that it's his people, people he knew that he was going to be reunited with. Open your Bibles to the book of Job. In Job chapter 1, you're familiar with the drama that takes place God is proud of Job. He was a man of God, and, and the devil hated Job and um, accused Job of only serving God because he was being blessed by God. God had built a hedge around him so that nothing could happen to him, and Satan makes the accusation, if you would remove that hedge and let me at him, I guarantee you he'd, he'd curse, your, curse you, you know, to your face. And God said, You don't know Job. And he gave the devil permission. He said, just don't take his life, but you can do everything else, and I'll demonstrate that Job is going to stay faithful to me. And so the devil took everything from Job. He had seven sons and three daughters. Uh, just begin reading with me uh, about his possessions. Verse 2. Seven sons, three daughters were born to him. Also, his possessions were 7,000 sheep, <clears throat> 3,000 camel, 5,000 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large household. So the, uh, this man was the greatest of all the people of the east. He was a blessed man, Job was, until... Well, you know, from an earthly standpoint, until the devil got a hold of him, took everything. He lost his household, he lost his servants, he lost all of his livelihood, his, uh, you know, his animals, and, and he lost his seven sons and three daughters in one day. Can you imagine that? You remember in World War II, there was that, that seven brothers on a ship that got sunk, sunk and they all died can you imagine the man that has to knock on that door? And, and they, that changed some rules in how uh, brothers are able to uh, serve together or, or not serve uh, in the same location because what a loss. Job's been there and done that. And so we get to the end of the book. Turn to Job chapter 42. And while Job sinned because of his well, he was, he was more, try, more willing to justify himself than to justify the activity of God. He was saying, I haven't done anything wrong. And he got so bold in that statement that he failed to... He was questioning God's goodness in what had happened to him. But he repents of that. And so at the end of the chapter, end of the book, we have this summation... And here's what it says in verse 10. The Lord restored Job's losses, and when he prayed for his friends, indeed the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Here's a problem: God gave Job twice as much as he started with. And so we see that play out, because look at what happens. Verse um, 12 He gave him more at the end than in the beginning, for he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys. If you go back to chapter 1, that's double. That's everything has been doubled. But look what it does when it gets to the children. He also had 14 sons and 6 daughters? No. Seven sons and three daughters. Wait, what happened to the promise to double all of his losses? They doubled all the animals. But when it got to the daughters and the sons, just seven more and three more. Why do you suppose that's the case? Have you considered that maybe Job didn't lose his first seven sons and three daughters? And that these are added to them and they are now doubled by giving seven sons and three more daughters. That is doubling if there is life after death. And, and that they, they were his. They were his family and his possessions, if, if you will. Um, I, I think Job 42 gives us an indication of uh, recognition and life. After death. Uh, And then you have David in 2 Samuel chapter 12. David committed adultery with Bathsheba and for punishment, the Lord said, I'm going to take your child. That may seem incomprehensible to us, but it is not inconsistent with the character of God. We just have to come to grips with that. And, and sure enough, David, he, he laid down flat on the ground and he prayed and begged and, and um, just for the life of that, that baby, the baby dies. And then the men try to figure out, well, which one of us are going to go in there and tell him? He's so distraught. Who's going to tell him? I don't want to tell him. You tell him. I don't want to tell him. You tell him. And, and they're outside. They're, they're wondering who's going to tell And so finally, they muster the courage to go in and say, David, your son is gone. And to their surprise, David gets up, he washes himself, he puts on clothes, and and he goes to worship. And they ask, what's going on? We thought you would just be so, you would lose control in, in your grief, you know, we were, we were worried, and you seem all collected. Do you, you remember what David said? I can't bring him back, but I can go to be with him. David certainly had in his mind the idea that there would be some kind of recognition and reunion on the other side of a grave. It motivated him in the moment of his deep despair to turn to God. I'm going to worship. Because he had this reunion in his mind that he wanted. And then one more passage, and it comes from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. The Apostle Paul is talking to the Thessalonians. And, you know, these people in Thessalonica had gotten some bad information Paul even addresses... You may have gotten a letter as if from me telling you some things. Pay no attention to that. And and maybe they thought that if Jesus had already come and their loved ones are dead before He comes or, or when He comes, that they miss out. And so Paul says, I want to tell you some things and I want to share with you some things that are intended to comfort your hearts. And, and listen to what he says in 1, Timothy chapter, or 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, um, in verse 13. He says, I don't, I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. The fact that your loved one has died before Jesus has returned is no reason to get... Unduly upset. Yes, there's the concept of death and the sorrow that comes by the separation that is temporary. But don't be overly sorry about this. This is not the end. He says, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. And then you go on down to verse 16. He said, The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the, in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. What's the comfort in these words? Well, the people were afraid that they had lost their loved ones. They were afraid that they would never see them again, that somehow they were missing out on what was coming ahead. And and that's why there's this separation, and they thought they missed it. And Paul said, they haven't. You comfort yourself. They're going to be there with us. We're all going to be gathered together. And therefore, I want you to take comfort in that. What comfort would that have been if they thought, well, I don't know, even know who they are. I mean, I'll never even recognize them uh, if they are with me. That, that's not comforting. If you lose a loved one and somebody says, you know, they'll be in the same room with you, but you won't know who they are, of what comfort would that be? So here are a host of passages that... Um, like I said, there, there, there's no, yes, there is recognition after death. But I think there are statements that are made, that give us some information that we can make some, some judgments regarding these passages. The passages that I talked about tonight lend themselves and give evidence of recognition after death, and the intent of having a reunion, I know that it's not going to be the same. I know that husband. there's no marriage or given in marriage in heaven. We're not going to be husband and wife anymore. But that doesn't mean you don't know your family and you don't know your loved ones. Somebody may say, well, my family, nobody's going to be in heaven. I'm the only Christian in generations that I know of and so where's my hope well you may not be able to be with your family but what about your spiritual family are there people in your life that um, have meant a lot to you maybe more to you than your own physical family and beyond that I, I wouldn't mind rubbing shoulders with the apostle Paul for a while and to talk to him and, and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all those great men of faith and women of faith and learn more. And, and, you know, that's exciting. I used to have a paper route when I was a boy. And there was a member of the church on my route. And whenever I'd go, every day that I would go, I, I would take a paper tour. But I wouldn't just pitch it on the porch like I did other houses, I would uh, knock on her door, and she would always be inside, and she'd say, come on in, and I'd sit and visit with her for maybe five, seven, ten minutes, and then I would go on and finish my route. But I would do that every day. We just had, you know, this little appointment to, to sit and talk. She was lonely and all by herself and elderly, and so, you know, that I, we just built a friendship. Well, the day came when she couldn't take care of herself anymore, she told me I'm going to have to move to California and live with my daughter, and um, so the last day finally comes, and I come in, I sit and talk with her a little bit, and and so it's finally time to leave, and I, I told her goodbye, and as I was walking down off her front porch steps, and she, you would have thought like I did something horrible to her. She said, don't you dare say goodbye to me. And I was like, what? You know, I was was shocked. And she said, Christians should never say goodbye. You can say so long or see you later, but you are not leaving here saying goodbye. And I was like, okay. (laughs) So I said, I'll see you later. And uh, the next time I saw her was a couple years later when they brought her body back. Um, you know, to be buried there in Chester. But I've often thought about that through the years. And, you know, among wanting to be with my mom and dad and all my my grandparents and so many people that have been close to me that aren't even family, but they're Christian family. Man, that's a motivation to me. But people like Catherine Michaels, and that's the lady's name that I'm talking about, I want to be able to say, ah, it's been a while, hasn't it? You know, good to see you again. When I think think back on my dad's last sermon, I think he had the right mindset. He didn't know how soon it would be that he would be having that reunion. But I like the way he was thinking. And that way of thinking probably motivated him in his life of service to God. And it will motivate me as well. I hope that you're motivated to be a, a more faithful servant of God. Doing all you can while you're here. Giving your mind, body, soul to Jesus in hopes that someday you'll have this eternal reunion with God, with Jesus, with the Holy Spirit, with the angelic beings, with all those faithful saints who have ever walked this earth. Man, now that's a thought. And that's motivation for me to remain faithful unto death and we'll have that crown of life. If you're here tonight and you're not yet a child of God, you have no hope of a reunion. You have no hope of eternal bliss. But really, you just have a fearful expectation of judgment. If you need to be baptized into Christ tonight for the forgiveness of your sins, I hope you'll do that tonight. Don't delay. I can tell you stories about people who delayed. They waited too long. They were playing the game. They were procrastinating. And it will forever haunt them. If you know what what you need to do and you haven't done it, stop playing that dangerous game and submit yourself to the Lord. If you're a child of God already but unfaithful, you need to get your life right. And if you have sin in your life that you've been carrying on and you know that if the Lord came back right now, it would not be good, then repent and ask God to forgive you for the sake of your future. And he's a gracious, loving God who will do that. And if you're here tonight and you just need the prayers of these brethren while we're gathered together, difficult things in your life going on, and you need people to pray for you, we'll pray with you for that purpose as well. If you need to respond, we invite you to come as we stand together and sing.